Well, welcome online and in the room. We're so thankful each of you are here today. We know God absolutely wants to meet us. He's already meeting us in this place, and he has a word that we believe is going to unlock our lives and help us in every way. You know, uh, this week was a really cool week for the topic that we're talking about today because this week was Valentine's Day. Okay, so last, <laughs> in the nine o'clock, I got one, whoop. There was maybe six in this one, all right? Always like. So uh, I'm sure a lot of you dudes utterly nailed it this Valentine's Day. I mean, you, you were Rico Suave, you nailed it. You, you delivered, okay? You anticipated, you showed up, all right? Um, can I just tell you, I blew it. I blew it, I blew it. I 100% completely forgot. So much grace. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, it was the day before Valentine's Day. I see everybody in the grocery store, and I see them good, and I'm, and I'm just behind, I'm just mixed up on my dates, right? Days are good, dates are bad. And, and I'm like, man, they're really ahead of the game. But it was the next day. And then I got busy, and I just, I just, just like, and then I started, on my way home, I was like, doggone it, it's Valentine's Day. And then I started lying to myself. Like, do we really celebrate Valentine's Day? I mean, do we only do the Christian holidays? I mean, or, I'm like trying to talk, and then finally I'm like, I gotta call her. So I called her and I said, hey, babe. Yeah, you're very overt. He calls and he says, hey, I think we forgot Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think we did. No, I think, I think uh, your response was, I know. Yeah, so, so I come to you not as a perfect pastor. Can I just go ahead and say that? I blew it. If anybody else blow it, just would you love on me right now and just let me know I'm not alone? Not alone okay, not alone. a few of us, a few of us. But, uh, but you tried. You I went. tried. So I quickly, I didn't tell her I was doing this. I was like, I've got to just do something. Like, even if it's just weak, and I got to do something. It wasn't that big of a deal to me, weirdly. It's like, as a, you know, as a woman, maybe every woman's different. But like, subconsciously, I thought when I woke up, like, oh, it's Valentine's Day. Oh, and then I move on. I don't even care. And I really didn't think about it until you asked me. And I was like, yeah, no, you didn't. So it's just like these subconscious things. But you're off. Thank trying. you for your kind well, words. It's true. It's just true. So I ran to Target. And yeah, I, I ran to Target and I'm, I'm in a rush because I'm just trying to get home quick. We had an event that night and uh, a non-Valentine's Day event that night. And, um, and so I'm, I run into Target and Target must be the place to prepare for love because there was nothing left. There was nothing left. I walked up and there was this big, huge, massive area where I could tell the flowers used to be and I saw one bouquet of red roses, grabbed them, grabbed a card, checked out, in the car, I'm writing, not while I was driving. Very sweet note. And it it really was a good was, note. And you meant it. It was a good note. It was a birthday card, but that's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. It wasn't. It was Valentine's Day. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. And, uh, and so I come in, and she's in the bathroom getting ready for the big event, and I walk in. You know, just like, does this even matter? But I hope it does. And she takes the flowers, and it's the first time I ever really looked at the flowers when she was holding the flowers and looking at the flowers. Uh, bottom of the barrel, baby. <laughs> bottom of the barrel. They They're were supposed to be red. They were red, 
and black. The hint of black. Anyway, so she was so sweet, and she cut them, and she put them on the on our kitchen island, you know, where we'd walk by it every single day. And we day. would laugh because it was the gift that kept giving. So it sat on our kitchen counter, and each time we'd come into the kitchen, new petals were on the counter that had fallen. I mean, we're talking within minutes. Like, literally, as I'm cutting, petals were falling. It's like Lord of the Rings, the tree is dying, you know? <laughs> Just one Anybody of those with moments. Me? This I'm is real one. marriage. We're coming to you as people who have not yet arrived, and for every story he has, I have 10 more, and so of my own issues. But it's real. With marriage... We're not perfect people. Yeah. We don't and nail I was it. certainly not perfect then. But have you ever felt like when it comes to love, romance, even sex, that it's like the petals on your love, the petals on your romance, the petals on your intimacy are like that weak bouquet of flowers, half dead, falling to the island. And every time you walk by, it's a reminder of where you missed it. It's a reminder of where someone hurt you. It's a reminder, and you just wish you could thrive. And today, we're gonna learn from God's word how to thrive at the point of romance, love, and sex. Yes, and we're not coming to you as people who have arrived. We're in the journey with you, seeking God for him to make our marriage stronger every single day. That's our heart. And the reality is, is doing what we've done for the past two, three decades in ministry, for me being a counselor, we both had the privilege of sitting with so many wonderful people in really hard places. When it comes to this topic, this is an important topic today, church. Love, sex, romance, God's plan, his design. The faces, wonderful people that flood my mind as I imagine. I, I remember the couple that came to me and they were in real trouble in their marriage and they're coming for counseling, coming for help. Only issue is that unbeknownst to him, she was in the middle of an active affair. So she knew every time she came in that she was living a lie in that moment, just being in that counseling office. I think about another story where a woman felt like she had this this broken marriage, this lifeless marriage, it was loveless marriage, and she told me, you know what, every time after we were intimate with one another, I just felt like I should leave money on the bedside table. That's not God's design. I think about the man who shared, and he was gripped with pornography, and he couldn't understand why his wife was not attracted or, or not desiring sex with him. So many broken places. People who began their, their marriage, a huge pattern, that began their marriage, they're dating, and they were having sex during dating outside of God's design for marriage, as we'll talk about. And they didn't realize, I've seen this pattern over and over again. They didn't realize that fast forward five years into their marriage, 10 years, 15, that lust didn't just stop the day they said, I do. And they looked up and wondered one day, why is my spouse being unfaithful to me? Not realizing that there had been seeds of lust planted in the dating scene mm -hmm. that had caused a chasm in the foundation of the relationship. This is an area that tears people down and hurts our lives and we need God's healing. So we're in this series called Good Gift, Bad God. And the title of today's message is Good Gift, Bad God, Love, Romance, and Sex. We're gonna look at that. We've been talking about in Romans chapter one, verse 25, that's been our home base, how we tend to take the things that God gives us and we lift them up to a godlike status. Romans 1.25 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. And there's this sense that maybe church is the wrong place to talk about this. Like this is a conversation that needs to happen 
you know, at home, just in the family, and the, and the church really should stay out of the business of talking about love, romance, and sex, but what's happening is those conversations are not happening in the home, and the conversations that our kids are getting, you may be asking, should my eighth grader, should they be in here right now? Your eighth yes. grader absolutely should yes. be in here right now, and the reason is because our culture is loud. And, and man, raise your hand if you want Hollywood raising your kids or teaching us about romance and sex. No, God has something to say about it and we wanna hear what God has to say because he's the architect of it all. And this is what we begin with. Sex and romance are not created by us for fun. Sex and romance are created by God. Can you believe it? Sex, romance, love was his idea for you. What a gift, what a beautiful gift. It says in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, that the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So Adam was alone, he was hunting, he was fishing, he was hanging, he was chilling, he was having a great old bachelor time. And God said, I'm not done. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And the God who made Adam knew Adam better than Adam knew himself. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And God's the one who created this beautiful thing. Yeah, he's the creator. And so often in our lives, I truly believe we don't trust that God knows better than we know. And if we think he maybe knows better, we don't trust his heart for us, that he really has our best interest in mind. And so we think in the back of our mind, we've gotta take control and do it my way because I just don't think God is able to bless me. I don't think God is able to meet the needs that are so deep inside of my heart and we don't trust him. But if we truly believe that God is the God who created sex, he created romance and he loves you and he loves me, then we will begin to trust him and not feel the need to redefine what he has already defined. We will not feel the need to try and recreate in our own lives something that is his creation and his gift to give. Genesis 2:24, like a good architect, creates a blueprint for a house. This is God's blueprint for marriage and for sex. Genesis 2:24, in the very beginning, right after he identifies it's not good to be alone, you were created for a relationship with one another. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. There is design all over this verse. Just the relationships, humanly speaking, alone with in-laws, with mothers, with fathers, with their daughter, with their son, with marriage, God is saying there is a shift that happens when marriage occurs. When you walk into the covenant, first of all, God says from the beginning, it's a man and it's with his wife, one man, one woman in the context of marriage. And there's a shift that happens when they enter that covenant. They leave mother and father as priority human relationship and they become one. And that's a supernatural mystery with one another. No longer is it me by myself. I am now one with my spouse. And that oneness, as we researched and just studied this word, it definitely is talking about physical and sexual connection meant for a husband and a wife but it also covers so much more. It is the totality of all of our lives, spiritually connected, emotionally available, acknowledging what's going on in one another's minds. We are one, and that is God's design for you and for me. So he created sex, 
He also created romance. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting because if you look in the Bible, you don't necessarily see the word romance anywhere in the scriptures. If you find it, come show us because I'd, I'd love to know. You won't but, find it. Well, we didn't see it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't read the entire thing last night, but you know, this week. But, but what you do see is the thread of romance throughout right. the scriptures. So we, this, you know, we use this term romance, romantic in our culture. And here's the definition just of romance. And there's two parts we're gonna unpack. One definition, and this is in the verb form. So it's an action. It's to court or to woo romantically. To treat, check this, treat with enthusiasm. Anybody lost some enthusiasm in your marriage today? To treat with enthusiasm or passion. Yeah. And God is a passionate God when it comes to our marriages and his love for us. There's an amazing book of the Bible that talks about sex and romance, love, and it's the Song of Solomon. And it's literally a book that is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And it's a gift to us to understand that God uh, doesn't look down on intimacy. God doesn't look down on romance, that God is the creator of it. And it's illustrated in this marriage. Listen to the romance in Song of Solomon, chapter eight, verse six. She says to him, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. That's great, man, you can hear the music playing. That's romance, and that's in the Bible, and here God is saying yes. But there's another dimension to romance as well that you may not have thought of before that's right there in the Word of God. Let's define it this next layer. To treat with chivalrousness. I cannot believe I nailed that word. Two times. I know, two times I've nailed that word. To treat with chivalrous, ah, there it is, <laughs> chivalrousness, chivalrousness. And this is what chivalrousness is. Honor, generosity, and considerate to women, okay? So guys, when we think of romance, do you only think about flowers and a wonderful dinner and, and music playing and, or passionate embrace? What do you think of when you think of romance? Do you, what, what are the images in your mind? Well, 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Have you ever considered that to be romantic? To, to anticipate her needs is romantic to consider, hey, what is she gonna need where we really think about what's around the corner for her. By the way, this is a great lesson for all of your life. This could be a lid lifted in your business. This could be a lid lifted in your career, a huge lid lifted in your parenting if we would engage the part of our mind that tries to see around the corner. Well, no less should we think about it than in our marriage. I wanna anticipate where she is so that if she does round the corner and she's there, I'm waiting there for her to care for her, to, to be considerate for her. Colossians 3.19, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, harsh words, that's the enemy of romance. And sometimes, guys, we can get in, and I'm, I mean guys, not guys as in guys and girls. I'm talking to men right now. Maybe this is true for both, of, both sexes, but truthfully, we can be harsh and we can kind of come to a resolution. You know, you, you're in an argument, you say something harsh, and then you may even apologize for it, you come together. Then for the guy, most men, once you come to the apology, you're done. Like, you're good. And sometimes, I don't even know if y'all need the apology. Let's just fight it out and then let's just go for it. 
That's where I was That's going. That's fair. That's fair. After that, you're ready to go. Like if, if, and by go, I mean you're ready to have sex. After you've apologized, let's go. We're happy now, right? She needs probably a little more time, right? Because how many of us are super nice right before it's time to have sex? How about let's be nice all the time? This is Romance, defined by the word of God right here. Beautiful. Yeah, we can't, who's gonna be nice all the time? I mean, certainly not me. I'll just do true confession right now. But we need Jesus to help us. But the reality in your marriage, check yourself, and this is to, our, to the men in our room, is if you become really kind right before you wanna have sex, and that's pretty much your kind zone, what's gonna happen is your wife is going to feel used. Your wife is going to feel like that's inauthentic love. And when it comes to love and romance, I mean, we're exploring, we're learning in sex and romance, understanding how did God make us and understanding one another only increases our intimacy, right? But there is something about romance that does involve chivalry. There's something about sex and romance where God created men and women different. And we live in a culture right now that likes to erase the differences between the sexes. There's no difference. We are all the same, male and female. They're just the same. It's interchangeable. And that's just simply not true. Even down to the anatomy that God chose to create for men and women and how it impacts sex. We're made differently, newsflash. And when it comes to sex, we experience sex differently. Maybe you've heard the terminology, but it is just so true. Men are microwaves, women are crockpots. It's true. It I think some of you have not heard that. <laughs> But these are observations, and sure, sure, there may be exceptions. But the reality is when we understand the differences about one another, it helps us live in an understanding way and a loving way. Some things about our differences. Often men are, men are turned on by what they see. God created men very visual. You, uh, men are able to be um, turned on, stimulated much faster than women are. This is how God created us. And women, that is not something to look down upon. That's not something to be disgusted by. When you understand God created your man, you love him right where he is. And the same token, often for women, women are turned on by what we feel, emotionally what we're feeling. If we feel cared for, if we feel safe, if we feel cherished, all these things often are what stimulate a woman. These are different places coming from, these are two different people coming from different places into the intimacy that God has designed. And it requires humble hearts saying, I wanna know you. I wanna understand how God's created us. And together, let's be selfless mm. as we experience God's beautiful design for sex and romance. So for a lot of us, there is, there's like this barrier, there's like this huge chasm, this gap between sex and romance, where she is and where I am, where she would like to be, where I would like to be, and there's this distance between us. And, and you, wanna, you wanna try to bridge that gap. You wanna try to shorten the chasm. And when I think about this talk, I think of fishing. I think of fishing for almost any talk. <laughs> but I think about, you know, when you get your, often whenever you get your first boat, like this little John boat, and you reach back, and it's one of those where you pull to, it's a pull start. You know, you're yanking on it like a lawnmower. Right? Raise your hand if you've seen the outboard motor with the pull start. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then there's a point where you graduate. You save up a, a few hundred bucks. You graduate. Maybe you get a new boat entirely. And you've moved away from childish things like the pull start. And you graduate to the 
talk to me. The key start, the electric ignition, that's right. And you sit there and you just push in and turn and it's if everything's working properly. And, and look, romance is what accelerates intimacy. And some of us, we're over here and aren't you tired of just working and pulling and working and pulling and complaining about the distance between you. Hey, let's just be practical. Somebody here wants a list, right? Somebody here, just tell me one, two, three, four things to do. Let me tell you, be romantic, truthfully. Gentlemen, it shortens and accelerates the intimacy. It brings it together, makes it quicker. Yeah. And one of the most beautiful, I think, pictures of romance in the Bible is Jesus. Yes. If you have eyes to see it, this passage that's directed towards men that you're about to read, it is directed specifically, why didn't he flip-flop it and say wives to the husband? No, he said husband to the wives, why? Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. Mm. He knows the secret to who we are, and if we will submit our lives to him, he unpacks it so beautifully. Ephesians 5.25, the Bible says again, in this, I believe this is the ultimate mountaintop scripture on what it looks like to be romantic. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the best way for you to love your wife, the best way for you to accelerate intimacy in your marriage, to connect with one another, be romantic, learn the life of Christ. Now this is, this is a crazy brain for you, like you would have never thought, I need to learn who Jesus was so that I can relate to my wife better, but let's think about this. Who is Jesus if he's not protector? God, the Bible describes Jesus as protecting his sheep. He protects the children, he is a protector. Who is Jesus if he's not tender in his love? When you think of Jesus and when you embrace who Jesus is, is he not sacrificial? Is he not willing to give up so that you can go up, even at personal cost? Don't tell me your wife can't afford a manicure and a pedicure and you're out buying a new gun. <laughs> I see a tear in your Amen eye. Amen, in the audience, <laughs> amen. Right, we give up so that you can go up. Sacrificial. He's strong, he's tough, he's loving, insightful, anticipate. That's the life of Christ. Boy, life gets so much better when we just do it like Jesus. Another thing to remember is sex and romance is inseparable. They are inseparable. They're inseparable. Everywhere in the Bible where you see romance, sex is sure to follow. In the Song of, Solom Song of Solomon, when you read in that book, man, it's just like two things just going together at all times. So it's not, okay, well, we're really good at sex, but we're not good at romance, or I'm really good at romance, but we're not really good at sex. Yeah. No, you don't choose. Both need to be strong in your relationship. And it's a mystery. I don't know why I, in that moment, enjoy when you open a door for me if we walk into a place. It's subconscious, but I'm like, oh, you don't care if I open a door for you. You open a door for me, I'm walking through it. That's it, that's it, that's all there is. <laughs> that's why. I just, there's a, there's yeah. an opening, I walk. And I do believe this is not because women are weak. I think it's because God created us to have a relationship with our husband that 
is so grateful for that love and that cherishing and yeah. that care. It's just something God's installed in us. And I believe sometimes it's the strong women in the room where your husband might not realize that that is a value to you. Mm. They might be like, oh, she's good, she's fine. I believe this is a space where God blesses when we invest in sex and romance his way. So they are good gifts, good gifts from a good God. But sex and romance make very bad gods mm. in our life. When they sit on the throne of our heart, our anchor verse, Romans 1.25, two parts. Again, it says that they exchange truth of God for a lie, and they worship and serve created things. When it comes to sex, for a moment, let's talk about a few of the lies that we believe. There's millions. But a few that we wanted to talk about when it comes to sex. Lie number one, sex is just physical. It's just a physical act. It's not that big of a deal. You can have it with whomever you want to. You can have it with someone you care about. You can have it with a stranger. You can have it with multiple partners. It's just a sexual act for our pleasure. We're sexual beings. We're physically driven beings. Well, Genesis 4.1 kind of opened my eyes to this this week. Talking about Adam and Eve as they progressed in their marriage says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. I study this a little bit, and throughout some of the scriptures, when referring to sex between a man man and a woman, God referred to it as to know them. They knew each other. And I looked up this word in the Hebrew, and you have to say it. Yeah, the Hebrew word is yada. Yada, yada. The Hebrew word, and it means to know, to realize. And it's as if God is unpacking that this sexual act is physical, yes, but it is so beyond only physical. There is a deep knowing of one another, a realizing of who is this person. It's an intimate connection, and it's nothing short of a supernatural, sacred act that God designed to bind two people in this life. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So that is definitely one of the lies that we hear. It's just physical. Another one is sex is a right. It's not a gift. I'm a sexual being, it's just a physical act, and so it is my right. Similar to eating and drinking, I need it for survival. The only problem with this is that God says that he is, do not be deceived, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And he is the one who created sex, and just like we saw with Adam, he diagnosed the problem, and what did God do? I will make a partner suitable for him, a helper suitable for him. Some of us are erasing God out of that equation and stepping right into his shoes and saying, no, 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 God, no, not you. I will find that that partner that's suitable for me, whether it's casual sex, sex outside your design. So it's a broken place, a broken lie. A third lie that we see, and there's so many, but a third lie that we see is any restrictions to sex are oppression. Any, restrict, any limits at all are a form of oppression. And it, it, it buys the lie that if God is telling me no, or if you would disagree with me, I am oppressed by that decision. Whereas, think of it this way. I have a fireplace in my home, and that fireplace is the place for fire. Now, if you've got a 12-year-old that decides they wanna light a match and start a fire in the living room or in the dining room or in their bedroom. That is not the place for fire. You as the parent know this, so you are guiding the child, don't play with fire. Why? Because we know, they don't know, that fire is dangerous. 
all they've experienced is the glow from the fireplace. They want that to happen in their bedroom. They don't understand there's one place for fire in that house, and that's there. God is the ultimate father, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he has said, here is where sex happens. It is man-woman marriage. This is the fireplace for intimacy like that. And any limits are not for oppression, it is for human flourishing. Yes, and so many lies, but again, one more that we'll share is that lie about sex is, oh, it's not that big deal in marriage. You're married, and we believe this lie of sex, you know, regular sex with my spouse, it's not that big of a deal. God would say otherwise, and we wanna know what he says and follow it. So there's lies we have to discern because they're flying at us on the daily in this world that we live in. But not only in the verses that talk about exchanging truth for lies, but the natural result is then we begin to elevate things that were created by God and we make them gods. So how do we make, how do we know when sex has become a God in our lives? Number one is that you love something more. Fill in the blank when it comes to sex. Maybe when it comes to sex, you love the actual physical pleasure of sex more. So you're willing to break God's design. You want that thing more than you want God. Maybe it's the object of the sex. Maybe for you, and this is true many times of women, not all women, and none of this is, you know, there's different exceptions. But often a woman will give her body away because she so longs to feel loved, so longs to feel adored by this person. And so we elevate love into a position that was only meant for God. And we begin to worship at that altar and give our bodies even to achieve our God's work in our life, that God of love. It could be pleasure, it could be comfort. There's so many different things. But bottom line, what we do is we take good desires. Pleasure in sex, good desire. Having sex, good desire. Desire for someone to love you or adore you, good desire. But we elevate the desire above our love for God. And he is no longer our number one. And what happens is we begin to make demands. Then that's the next thing that happens is we disregard God's design, but we make demands. You know what? If you don't love me the way I wanna be loved in my marriage, I'm gonna find somebody else who will. Or you know what? He's not romantic enough. I'm gonna start fantasizing and looking at her husband. You know what? I bet if I was married to him that he would treat me so different, so sweet. He's so, look how sweet he is to her. Or maybe he complimented me. And I, you know what? I bet he would just really be so romantic. We place demands on each other. If she's not having enough sex with me, I'm gonna go outside of our marriage. All of these demands, but we're breaking God's design. We disregard it. And finally, when, it, when we know sex has become a God, we understand it because we are willing to go outside God's design to get it. We've elevated it and we don't trust God as our source. We are looking God in the eyes saying, I do not trust you. I'll do it my way. You know, the thing I love about uh, Romans chapter one is Romans chapter two. And um, in Romans chapter one, Paul goes through, and really, this is a pattern with Paul. As he wrote Romans 1, he was very, very specific about the ways that we exalt created things to a worship place and make them little g-gods. And he really condemns it. He's, he's very clear, this is sin. He draws a hard line in the sand and says, this is sin, this is sin. And, and understand this about Keystone Church, this is not a place where we're gonna knowingly allow you to walk into sin, because that's not your best life. Um, but then in Romans chapter two, he, after doing all of that and even pointing out sexual sin, that was his number one application. In Romans two, he basically says, um, as, he, as he goes through all of these different sins, he says, as we 
used to be. And he says, this is who we were. And I just wanna acknowledge, before we really identify the brokenness in our culture, and really name it, because Paul named it, I wanna name it today, that understand this, that our heart toward sexual sin, our heart toward that is not angry, um, judgmental. Honestly, we should all be coming at it saying, hey, we've all made mistakes. It's more of, this is God's design and we offer it to you. We believe it's for human flourishing because we know he's a good father. He created it this way. And, and it's real important that you understand that God is a God who loves you so much. And with that said, he loves us enough to say, fire, fire. So here are some sex God symptoms and we'll list them on the screen. Sex while dating, sex while dating. Um, that is a very clear way that you are saying, I want it now, I'm not willing to wait. Uh, living together first, the idea that we need to test our compatibility where covenant love says, I'm not gonna try you out. And no judgmental here, no, judge, no judging here, but truly, I'm not gonna try this relationship out, I'm gonna choose to love you and we're gonna work it out with the power of God. Um, number three, same-sex relationships. Uh, again, that's outside of the fireplace of God's design. Sex with her husband or his wife, adultery, uh, that's never okay. Um, friends with benefits. Um, sex, I, our teenagers are losing their minds. Sex with strangers, sex with strangers. Sex with yourself, sex with yourself. Honestly, this is one of those where we sometimes think it's a gray area, but but sex is to be within a, a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And then finally, oh, next, fantasy, using your mind to imagine ways that you could be happy in this way. And then finally, pornography. Um, pornography is not a victimless crime. It's not, you, you can't say of pornography, oh, it's hurting no one. There's even wonderful research now coming out from neuroscience that tells about the, the dangers of pornography, the danger of self-sex, the dangers of violating God's design and how it actually grow, grows a chasm between the two of you. It doesn't bring you closer together. It, it breaks you further apart. Warning, God knows how you're made. He knows how you're made and you can trust him. Yeah, you can and, trust and it's him. out, like you said, it's out of a heart of his love for us. I mean, as a counselor, case studies, even things have shown that you know, sex with yourself or pornography or, or these spaces that we find ourselves in deadens our sexuality. That's right. It actually keeps us from being able to experience the design for sex in the first place, which is a flourishing experience. And so God knows what science is catching up to and what case studies catch up to. And he loves us so much, this is why he shares with us. So sex can become a God, but romance can too. What are some ways that romance becomes a God? Well, a few ideas. Again, I said earlier, but we fantasize. We imagine how we wish it was, how it should be, and we just fantasize and allow our mind to go. And by the way, the longer you disrespect the spouse, why are we confused when we're not attracted to our spouse? Even if the disrespect is inside of our own mind. We've gotta watch out for it. Another is unrealistic expectations. What am I feeding with what, if, with what I look at, with what I read, with what I watch, the romantic movies, the romance novels, the conversations with friends, what am I feeding? And is it an unrealistic expectation that no human could ever measure up to? We've gotta have hearts of humility. Um, when our spouse doesn't meet those expectations, here's another sign that romance has become a little G-God. When our expectations are not met, 
Do we then punish? Well, you didn't do this, I'm not gonna do that with you. Or do we grow bitter and we grow cold and our culture and our home and in our marriage becomes one that's ice? These are signs that romance has become a God because again, sex and romance is a gift, but they make very, very bad gods. And ultimately, they are an act of worship. Sex and romance are acts of worship. I've shared this in counseling before, and when, when they first hear that, they're like, excuse me, do we need to have worship music playing while we're having sex? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, <laughs> you can, but that's not what I mean. Often we think of worship as coming into this room like we are here today and praising God, and that is real worship as we praise him. But worship involves every aspect of your life. Worship involves, Lord, you said this in your book, I'm gonna worship you and follow you with your help and with your strength. That means, God, when I desire something outside of your design, it is my worship as I surrender that to you, Lord, and trust you to meet the needs of my soul. That is an act of worship. And so we worship God as we lay those things down and we lift him mm. on the throne of our heart. As sex and romance are acts of worship. Where we break bad is when sex and romance are the object of our worship. In other words, we, we believe that getting married will save me. Finding the love of my life, thank you very much, Jerry Maguire, will complete me. This language, this language of the re that marriage and romance and love and sex will redeem me. Here's the word, you ready? That other person, your spouse, is a sinner, you sinner. <laughs> They're a sinner. <laughs> I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Sinners can't save one another. We need a savior to save one another. The list I just went through, I'm on that list. I've been on that list. And I'll bet you have too. So I'm not coming at you looking at this list and saying, how dare you, don't you have no place here? No, I'm coming at you saying, I'm a sinner that needs a savior just like anybody else in this room. And that person right there, she is the greatest gift in my life. Out outside of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's true. It's true. And I'm no good to her without Jesus. Yeah. I'm no good to her. Yeah. How I approach sex and romance reveals the God I worship. So when you are leaning toward that as your ultimate happiness, know this, you've made it into a little G God when it's all about you. So how do we do this God's way? Number one, invite God to deal with our shame. There's very few sins that bring as much shame as sexual sins. And it speaks to the nature of sex, that it's not just an act, it's not just biology, it's not just an activity. There's something spiritual about intimacy like that. And that's why there's a shame. God wants to deal with, some of us in this room, you've made mistakes and you'd love to have those back. And God wants to deal with that shame. Others of us, you carry the shame of something that was done to you. And God says, you don't need to walk with that. You need healing today. You need healing today. So let's go to God to remove all that shame. It's huge, and, and the shame, the beauty of, of God is that that shame was covered on the cross. Yes. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus hung on the cross to, to take our shame away. So if you, like all of us, have shame in your past or maybe right here, right now, shame in your present, step into that covering that Jesus offers you through faith and what he did. Some of us need to experience that for the first time through salvation. God, I trust you as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. Others of us, we need to realign our worship today. God, I have, I have gone far from you and I realign my heart to you. How else do we get this right? How else do we get right things, the, the first thing first in our heart? Be willing to wait on the Lord for the gift. Be willing to wait. And I believe this applies no matter where you are today. If you're dating today, I love this passage in Song of Solomon. <clears throat> it says this in verse eight, or chapter eight, verse four. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. And the appropriate time is when God gives the gift, not when we grab it. So if you're dating today, maybe you've even made mistakes in your dating, start right where you are. Oh God, I wanna follow you starting now. Help me, Jesus. Help me follow you. You may be married and you're in a really hard place when it comes to sexual intimacy and romance in your marriage. Start where you are. God, I am gonna wait on you to heal my marriage and as I wait on you, I'm gonna pursue you through prayer. I'm gonna pursue you, God, through reading your word and letting it transform me. I'm gonna pursue you by being in your house, regularly in your church, allowing you, God, to transform me. Wait on the Lord and he will provide. And then when it comes to marriage, honor and obey God by having regular sex. This is God's design. Earlier we talked about, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Well, God would say otherwise. Yeah, it is a big deal. First Corinthians 7, three through four, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Do you notice that? The Bible admits, right? It, it instructs us. We both have sexual needs. So helpful. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. See how you're helping one another when you're both being sacrificial to one another. And when you're sacrificing for one another, you're both loving one another. And both of you are receiving love from yeah. each other. Yeah. And, and listen, the, the, this scripture is so powerful, it's so prescriptive, that really there should not be this season of drought in the bedroom. But could I just also say, there should not be a season of drought with your affection. There should not be a season of drought with your romance. This is God's design, this is how God is leading us today. And, and I would just like to finish by, by just calling us today and maybe you would say, Brandon, I'm with you, man. At some point in my life, just like you, just like Susan, just like probably everybody in this room, I've been on that list. At some point in my life, and, and I may carry some of the shame. Maybe right now, I've been openly violating what God is all about, and I'm not choosing God's way. Then I would just ask today, say yes. Say yes to God. Say yes to God's love. Say yes to God's version of romance. Say yes to God's definition and design for your flourishing in sex. And I believe it'll bless you. Let's stand to our feet. If we could just stand together. I wanna do something. In a moment, we're gonna sing. And as we sing, I believe it's gonna have healing power as you worship God with your voice. But can I also say, that at the end of our time together, when the service is done and we're all walking out of the auditorium, our prayer team is gonna walk 
to the front of the auditorium and we're gonna receive anybody that would like to receive prayer. We've touched on some heavy stuff. Maybe there's some desires in your life and you say, man, I need to give these desires to the Lord. I don't know what to do. This is what I really want, Brandon. You know what, we'd love to walk with you through that. Let us walk with you through that. Let us prayerfully walk with that. And let's give it to the Lord right here at the front. Could you just bow your heads together today? We're just gonna have a moment where we deal with the Lord. Can we just have a time of commitment and what that looks like with your eyes closed just to honor people around you? Whether you're single today and maybe you have that desire in your heart for that relationship one day with someone or whether you're married. I would ask our married couples, would you just hold the hand of your spouse right now? Would you just grab their, their hand? Let's just have a moment wherever you are in life to realign. And with your free hand, would you just all over this room place your hand over your heart as we commit and say, God, just let this be your prayer. God, I give you my heart right now. I give it to you again and again. When it starts to run away, Lord, I give it back. And God, with my hand over my heart, I'm acknowledging you created my physical heart. You created it. You created my whole body. My body does not belong to me. It's yours that you gave as a gift. And sex and romance you gave as a gift. God, help me honor you with this body that you gave. Father, I pray for healing in this room. Yes. I pray that we would not be defined by our past mistakes choices that we've made that we regret. Father, I pray we would not be defined, we would not define one another that way. God, change our language in this room. Change our language, change the voice inside of our, our head, that we would begin to hear your word over us, that you've made a new creation, that you're doing a new thing. Father, we pray healing in this house. We pray all shame gone in this house. We pray that all shame that means if we have sin right now that's causing shame, we confess that sin to you, that we'd repent of that sin, we'd turn from it saying, I don't want that. And God, I give you my body, I give you my desires, I give you my life and I trust you with it. And God, I pray healing in this house. So as we Jesus sing name. these words, can we just commit our heart to him? Thank you, Jesus.